We're going to turn tonight for a Bible reading to a very unusual portion of Scripture, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, and we're going to read together just the first seven verses. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 1 through to 7. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 1 through to 7. Let's hear the word of the Lord, reading, of course, from the authorized verse. O oh, that thou wert as my brother, that sucked the breasts of my mother, when I should find thee without, I would kiss thee, yea, I should not be despised. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand should be under my head, and his right hand should embrace me. I charge you, daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, Leaning upon her beloved, I raised thee up under the apple tree, where thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. Amen. We know that the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Song of Solomon, chapter 8, and the verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly content. Now my theme this evening is the redemptive power of love. The word love is mentioned in the Bible 443 times. It covers a wide range of subjects. It includes the love of God toward sinners in Christ. It involves the love of God's people for the Lord himself. Remember, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. It also includes the love of one's neighbor. This is the second and great commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It's wide enough to cover the love of parents for their children, the love of a man toward a woman, the love for God's holy truth. Now, now think of it. 443 times the Holy Spirit inspired the authors of the Scriptures to include and use this word love. 
And when we think of the how many times it's mentioned in the Bible, yet the reality is we pay so little attention to what true love really is. So often the true definition of love fails to really grip our hearts and minds. And we get asked the question tonight, does the Bible teach the power of love? Is there such a thing as the power of love? This theme came to me yesterday afternoon when I was listening to the Episcopal Bishop, the first black Episcopal Bishop of the United States of America, who preached the sermon in Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel's wedding. And this, at least, was part of the reference that he had to his overall theme, the power of love. And as I listened to what he had to say, I was thinking primarily of the power of redemptive love. Now, we were singing tonight, O love that will not let me go. That was written by a man called George Matheson in 18. 82. He was 40 years of age. It was penned on the night of his sister's wedding. A wedding is a joyous occasion, you'll agree with me. Time of celebration, praise. But that night of his sister's wedding was a very sad, heartbreaking night for George Matheson. He lived in Glasgow. He was born in 1842. And sadly, when he was a few years old, he suffered from a disease that robbed him partially of his sight. And he was told by the doctors that over the age, especially maybe in around 20, he would be fully struck blind. But despite his disability, of course, he pressed on in his studies. He went to university, the University of Glasgow. He graduated there at 19 with an honours degree. And I have to tell you something else about him. When he was at university, he suffered another striking blow. At university, he met a young girl. And he fell in love with this beautiful young girl. She was also a student. She was also 19. And of course, George Matheson knew that his condition was steadily getting worse and he, he he planned to get engaged to this girl and to get married and he met up with a girl of his dreams and he talked to her and he told her you know one day I'm going to be fully blind and I want to ask you this if I'm fully blind will you still marry me and to his astonishment to his grief here was the blunt answer no, I don't want to be the wife of a blind man. And he felt like a dagger had ripped in his heart. So he, he parted. And for all his years, he remained single. Around about the age of 20, he entered into the ministry. He engaged in a very fruitful pastorate. I believe it was an Argyle. He even had the joy of preaching a sermon to Queen Victoria. And on August 28, 1906, he was called home to be with the Lord. His body was buried in the family vault in Glasgow. And as I've told you, he was the author of this favourite hymn. He wrote it himself on the very night of his sister's wedding when he was 40 years of age. And listen to what he said. 
I am quite sure that the whole work was completed in five minutes, and equally sure that it never received at my hand any retouching or correction. I have no natural gift of rhyme. All the other verses I have ever written are manufactured articles, but this came like a day spring from on high. You see, for 40 years, him and his sister had lived together in the same house. And when he was 40, in the year 1882, she had told him that she was not only getting married, but she was moving out. And he was going to be alone in the big house. And there he was with his heart breaking at the news, gripped with sadness and sorrow, having been told by the doctors, when you're 20, you'll be fully blind. And in the midst of those circumstances and that intense pain that the Lord himself gave Matheson this hymn, which he said defies logic. Oh, love that will not let me go. And I want us to think tonight for a few minutes on that very theme, the power of redemptive love. I want you to think of the revelation of love. Solomon said, many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. See, the Bible teaches us that God is love. Did you know that that's written twice in the scriptures? Three words, God is love. Anything repeated, of course, in the Bible by the Holy Spirit, we must mark it. We must pay the careful heed to it. We we must learn something from it. And what are we discovering? We're discovering this in these words, God is love, that the source of true love in the world is God. Isn't it interesting that the Bible didn't say God is loving? That would have been true. But it doesn't say that. It says God is love. The word love, if you read it very carefully, 1 John 4 and verse 8, 1 John 4 and 16, the word love is not a verb. It's actually a noun. God is love. And that is, in a sense, abnormal as far as English grammar is concerned. And yet, in that abnormality, there's the unfolding of a great revelationary truth, and it's this. If you want to know what love is, and love remembers the greatest gift of all, 1 Corinthians 13, then you must look at God. Then you must see love in the face of Jesus Christ, God's Son. You see, people have a false notion of love today. People have a a completely wrong conception of what love is. Here's Solomon, and he can tell us something about it. He says, many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. He he tells us in the verse 6, for love is as strong as death. You see, all that God is tonight, and all that God does, he is and does out of love. And when we read about God being holy and righteous and God being just and a God of wrath who hates sin and must punish iniquity, we read about his grace and his mercy, his long-suffering, his patience and kindness. What is that? 
but it's all a perfect demonstration of God's holy, just, wise, patient, kind love. Did you know that the Lord Jesus called Herod a fox? Go tell that fox. Did you know that the Lord Jesus called the scribes and Pharisees a generation of vipers who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Didn't he tell men in John 8, He that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. They were wanting to stone a woman for adultery. Of course, the man wasn't there. The Lord Jesus calls on men to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all that he did, and all that he said, he did out of love. Every word, every deed, every thought, he did out of a heart of love. Doesn't the Bible teach us in Romans 5 and 8 that God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Calvary is the greatest demonstration of love. Remember he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And why did he die? You see, his death on the cross was not just to show us a great example of self-denial and self-sacrifice. Now, now that's included, and this theme came to me as I listened to Bishop Curry preach yesterday at the wedding funeral for Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel. And while I don't have a full text of his sermon, I will get one. And I'll read it carefully because I sort of detected that what he was getting at, the good bishop, was... The example theory of Christ. Because he lived a life of self-denial and self-sacrifice. To, to demonstrate the power of love. Because many waters can't quench love. For love's as strong as death. Neither can the floods drown it. And therefore because of Christ's love of a life of self-denial and self-sacrifice. Even to the death of the cross. You, young couple, and you worshippers and parishioners, he was saying, you follow likewise in the steps. You discover this power of love. Then you live it out. But I want to tell you, and I want to say lovingly tonight, that is not the heart of the gospel. Because Jesus Christ didn't live a sinless life and die an atoning death to show us a great example of self-denial and self-sacrifice. It includes that. But I want to tell you, his death on the cross was a redemptive act. So we talk about the power of love. It's the power of redemptive love. Because at the heart of the love of God is the commendation of that love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die to start a political revolutionary movement. He didn't die to raise an army of volunteers who would exemplify him as their supreme example and follow in his steps. Now, it includes that in a sense. But Christ died to save sinners. Doesn't the Bible say, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost? The Bible says, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Men are sinners. They have broken God's law for, for sin is the transgression of the law. And they need to re 
repent and they need to be saved from sin's penalty, from sin's power, from sin's dominion. Does the Bible tell us in the book of Matthew, Matthew 20 and 28, that he gave us life a ransom for many? Where did he give us life? Outside the city walls of Jerusalem. When? 2,000 years ago. What way? A horrible death of crucifixion. The most painful of death that you could imagine in the Roman world. Who? Son of God, son of man, son of Mary. But why? Why? You see, that goes to the heart of the message. And here's the answer to redeem sinners on the ground of his blood and reconcile them to God. And when we think of the death of Christ on the cross, and I, I have to say this, this is what the modernists miss. This is what the liberals ignore. And, and, and they, they can talk a good talk and they can show a good show, but, but here's the heart of it. When we think of the death of Christ on the cross, he was a substitute. He took my place. He died for me. He was a surety. He paid the debt that I couldn't pay to the broken law. He, he was the sin bearer. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with the stripes we are healed. He, he was the sin offering. He, he satisfied divine justice. He, he appeased God's wrath. Remember, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was the sacrifice. The Lamb of God. The Lamb for sinners slain. Remember, his sacrifice was once and for all. But this man, speaking of Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. That, that's why we reject the teaching, the Roman Catholic teaching of the Mass. The Mass is not a sacrifice for sin. Jesus Christ offered a once and for all sacrifice for sin, never to be repeated. His work is finished. In fact, he, 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 he testified, it is finished. Tetelestai, done, complete. All to become our saviour. Can you get the picture tonight in your head? A substitute, the surety, the sin bearer, the sin offering, the sacrifice. All so that he could save his people from their sins. All that he could change and transform them <clears throat> from the inside out. He breaks the power of cancel sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. That's why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And remember, we've talked in the past about being in Christ and living for Christ through the strength of Christ that one day we might go to be with him. That's the revelation of God's love. So when we think of love, and we come across these four, four, three references, let's remember that in its height, in its depth, in its breadth, let's remember this, that God is love. And the greatest demonstration of that was the redemptive act of Christ in his death. I want you to think something else. I want you to think of the reason for love. Song of Solomon 8, of course, is a love story. A bride and her husband being brought to the state of holy matrimony. And I've asked myself, 
what was the reason for Christ coming into the world? What was the reason for his first advent? And here's the answer. God's love. In fact, the reason for every merciful and every mysterious act that centers in redemption is tied into God's love. Do you know tonight that God's love defies logic? It's mind-boggling and mind-blowing. Turn over there to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, and I want you to read with me from Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And, and look with me at verse 7. Deuteronomy 7 and 7. Let's hear the word of God. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. Look at verse 8. But because the Lord loved you, and because you would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, why did the Lord love us? Why did the Lord choose us in Christ? Was there anything in us? That motivated him, that moved him to choose us to be saved. There's nothing lovable about us. When we take Romans 5, the picture, we're without strength. We can't save ourselves. Remember, we, 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 we can't um, bring ourselves um, to the, the new birth or, or the experience of it. Remember, we're sinners. We've broken God's law. Remember, we're ungodly. We have an inbuilt bias against God. We're, we're not only anti-God in our thinking, but anti-God in our doing. Remember, we're enemies at Romans 5, verse 10. And you see, we did nothing to attain or to earn or merit this love. And as sinners, we, we, we have committed sinful acts and been guilty of sinful thoughts and, and sinful words in his sight. And we've done that which is wrong. And yet here's this bride. And she says to her husband. Husband to be. What does she say to him? Set me as a seal upon thine heart. As a seal upon thine arm. You see the seal has to do with ownership. The seal has to do with relationship. The word set has to do with fasten. And she's gripped with this thought that my husband has chosen me. My bridegroom loves me. And it defies logic. She can't understand why. And she has this plea to set me as a seal upon thine heart as upon thine arm. Oh, that we would realize God coming to us in Christ and us asking him, Lord, why do you love me? And him answering, because I love you. No reason. Defies logic. Let me tell you something else. God's love defeats loneliness. The Bible tells, says us, Proverbs 17 and 17, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And Jesus Christ is the true and best friend of all. He's not only a saviour, he's not only Lord of creation, and Lord of the church, and Lord of every creature, He's not only the shepherd and bishop of our soul, but he's the best friend of all. You, you think of George Matheson tonight, whom I made reference to. He suffered three great losses. 
Through disease, he suffered the loss of sight. What a wonderful blessing eyesight is. Isn't it great to be able to see? I, I bemoan the fact that I have to wear spectacles to, to see to read the Bible now. It maybe shows a wee bit about me, me age. But the blessing of eyesight is a wonderful blessing. Do you know what I mean? Think about getting up in the morning and thanking God for our blessings. Let's remember, he daily loads us with benefits. And here's one of them, the blessing of sight. To try and think of life being lived through the eyes of somebody who's blind. Either blind from birth or partially blind or, or fully lose their sight because of some disease or some incident. He had the loss of sight. He had the loss of a sweetheart. Can you imagine a, a, a meeting a young girl at university and, and your heart's pumping and, and you're just infatuated and, and all you can think about is her and you want to get engaged and you want to get married and, and then you, you pop the question and you're hoping that she feels exactly the same way and she turns around and tells you, gotten information. I don't want to spend the future with a blind man. And then add into that the loss of the sister. She lived with him for 40 years. On the night that she went out and closed the door, I'm sure that house felt lonely. Felt empty. They had been together so much. She, she had been a great help and blessing to him, especially in the 20 years of the ministry. And moving out, it broke his heart. He, he was broken in spirit. And within five minutes of her leaving, he wrote that lovely hymn, Oh, love. That will not let me go. You see, he discovered that God's love can defeat loss and loneliness. Turn over there to Romans chapter 8. Look with me at this verse of scripture. Let this fill your mind. Paul says, verse 38, for I'm persuaded. Here's Paul's persuasion. He wasn't Methodist, Presbyterian, Church of Ireland, or Pentecostal. He wasn't even free Presbyterian. But this is what he said, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall what? Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love defeats losses of loneliness. Maybe you're suffering loneliness today. There's two million people live on their own in the United Kingdom. Maybe you're going to do a house tonight where there's nobody at home. Maybe tonight you're bedridden or you've bedridden loved ones. Maybe they're in a nursing home or maybe they're confined to the hospital. We, we all have loved ones who are sick and ill at times and Maybe we could talk in a sense about the gift of pain. But, but I'll tell you something. When you're in pain, it's hard and difficult to cope. It's hard to understand. And yet what do you do in that circumstance when the house is empty and you have a bedridden loved one? Well, well, all you can do is hold on to the Lord and fill your heart and mind with the fact that he loves you. Remember, he's not a fair-weather friend. He said, I'll not leave you comfortless. I'll come to you. A friend loveth at all times. In the hard and difficult days when the rubber hits the road. We were singing tonight, there is no love like the love of Jesus. It is not tremendous. Precious love. Let it, let it grip your heart and mind. Think of the love of a husband and wife. Think of the love of a young couple just getting married. 
like Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel. Think of the love that a parent has for a child. Think of the love that one has for one's country. Think of our love for the Lord. Peter was asked the question, Lovest thou me more than these? And he responded three times, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And our love can be tested, and it will be. Our love can be tried, and it will be. And our love for him can wane, and, and it can be weakened through circumstances and situation. But, but when we think about whether it's the love of a husband and wife, a young couple, a parent, a child, the country, the love of the Lord, it all peels into insignificance and peels down the ether when we think of the love of Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something else very quickly about that love. God's love draws sinners. Jeremiah 31 and 3 says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee. God's everlasting love. God who has loved us freely and sacrificially in Christ draws us to himself. Think of the night you got saved. Think of the night you were showing your sin and your need of Christ. And maybe you wept your way to Calvary. And the joy and the peace and the, the, the blessed that filled your heart and soul. And you began to experience and taste the love of God. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. Paul lived what he, he did, the way that he did. Paul suffered all that he suffered. And it was this overriding theme, the love of Christ to him. Remember, he was taken up, Galatians 2 and 20, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I was speaking recently to a young man he said he had heard about 500 gospel sermons. He'd sat in the free church for years. And he said, I had no interest in getting saved. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed to be saved. But it was all head knowledge. It was all theoretical. And he says, then this night, I was in this particular congregation. And I was there, in a sense, by accident. And all of a sudden, I was stricken and overstruck with the love of God in Christ. And those words, Jesus loved me, burned into my soul. You see, true Christianity, young people, is all about relationship. It's not about ticking boxes and keeping rules and regulations. It's not about rites and ceremonies. Now, God's law is important. Don't get me wrong. Because by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul says, I have not known sin except the law said, thou shalt not covet. And remember the, God's law, the Ten Commandments, in its universal application, spiritual and literal, is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to show us how sinful we really are. Once you realize how sinful we are, and that is consciously brought home to our heart, then we're introduced to Christ. Here's a saviour from all sin. Do you realize tonight, has the love of God drawn you? Do you realize you're a sinner? You deserve hell for all eternity. And yet you have a soul you ought to repent. You can be brought into a right relationship with God through faith in Christ. Christ's love, his redemptive love, has power to save you tonight. And power to keep you. Don't ever think you'll, you'll keep yourself or kept by the power of God through faith in the Lord Jesus. And power to change and transform. I could never give this up. I could never give that up. You don't have to. He takes the love of sinning out of your heart. He puts a new love. 
and, and power to help you in your circumstance, your situation, whatever it is. I need you, Lord. He's there by your elbow. The Lord is at hand, the Bible says. There's the reason for that love. It defies logic. It defeats loneliness. And glory to God, it draws sinners. I've drawn thee with the cords of everlasting love. Think lastly of the response to God's love. If God has loved tonight and God has commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners and Calvary is the greatest demonstration of that love, let me ask you this as we finish. What's your attitude to Jesus Christ? What should your attitude be? Your attitude should be to lay down your arms of rebellion and repent of your sin and receive Christ as Lord and Saviour. If he saves you, he'll change and transform you. And with the very same love that he loves you, he'll enable you, at least in part, to love all that he loves. You'll begin to love the Sabbath and the Scriptures. You'll, you'll begin to love the saints. You'll begin to love the souls of men. You'll have a love for the Savior, even though it's weak and tried and tested. And you'll want to be loyal to him. And you'll want to live for him. And you'll want to learn of him. You know, in our country, many pledge loyalty to the queen. Many pledge loyalty to the flag. Many pledge loyalty to the country. Think of those in wartime for king and country. They offered themselves as a supreme sacrifice in the battlefield and they lost their life for the defence of freedom and we salute that and we remember their sacrifice but what about playing loyalty to Christ pledging loyalty to the Calvary's bleeding lamb over in hymn number 480 Isaac Watts's great hymn this is how he finished it off where the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small love so amazing so divine demands what my soul my life my all you see that ought to be the response once we have tasted the love of God I want to be loyal to Christ I lay down my life for the bleeding lamb of Calvary I live for him in his strength and power. I'm going to learn from him. He demands. He deserves. My soul. My life. My all. This was the bride's response. To her bridegroom. Once she was gripped with the fact that he loved her. And what's your response to the love of God in Christ? Let's take into our mind the revelation the reason and let's have this response may the Lord bless these words to you this evening thank you for coming